Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Ben, uh, and I'm really, really moved and encouraged by what I've heard this morning. Um, as I was listening to what was being shared, and actually the psalm talked about uh, Christ, the cornerstone, um, and uh, Ephesians 2 talks about how Christ is the cornerstone, and we all are being, uh, being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit, and, uh, and so I was just struck by, like, every person coming up here and every person sitting here is, it says that, that we're, we are stones being built into a holy temple. Every person here is a stone being laid on the cornerstone, and we're being laid on people who before us, and people coming after us are going to be laid on top of us. We are stones in this beautiful building that God is building, and he's the cornerstone, and I was just so encouraged. He's listening to the stones here, like talking, sharing about what God's been doing in their lives. Um, okay, but this is Hebrews 4, so Christ is the cornerstone, and uh, this is, we're going to hear from Hebrews 4, uh, 14 to 16. So let's hear about the cornerstone, all right? Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Thanks, Ben. Hey, we're going to dismiss our kiddos. So if you're kindergarten through fifth grade, you can head out the back, and we'll see you after uh, the end of our worship here. Uh, I just want to give a, a shout-out to all the all-in students. Are you here? Are you awake? Uh, three of them are. Okay, that's good. Uh, many of you know that our, our youth uh, just went away for a retreat uh, Sumi's here. She's here. We know that. Uh, they went away for a retreat uh, down in Ravensdale and uh, snuck in kind of partway through our, our singing here a few minutes ago. It's awesome to see the back couple rows uh, filled up with you all. I know none of you got sleep in the last two days, so I'm going to try and make the message today brief. Uh, some of you, it doesn't matter how brief it is. You'll be asleep in five minutes anyways. But um, I want to acknowledge one thing real quick before we get into the text uh, that we just read. Um, today is September 11th, and 21 years ago, before some of you all were born, um, our country was reminded of horrific evil that can affect us. I, I, we're, uh, by and large, a very comfortable nation, a very safe nation. We've been, uh, for decades now, pretty isolated from the rest of the world. The, 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 the wars that happen always feel far away. But 21 years ago, the evil hit our city. It hit our nation. Uh, I was actually in West Africa 
when the planes were crashed into the Twin Towers. And I remember hearing about it and before, before we knew exactly what was happening, just hearing about buildings burning and, and planes crashing, just the unknown of what was happening. For the next three days, I was just glued to a TV set in Ghana, Africa, just watching as more information unfolded. I was just days away of getting ready to go into the Middle East, where I was uh, planning to be for a couple of months. And needless to say, my plans changed, as so many of our plans did change. So we remember that today. We remember those that lost their lives. We also remember, though, that what evil we experience is an ongoing thing in our world. Um, I mean, there's been a war raging in Ukraine now for months, unprovoked by Russia, right? In any given moment, uh, Christians are being persecuted for their faith. I mean, there's so much evil in this world. And so this morning, uh, would you pray with me as we cry out to God, as we cry out for his mercy and his grace in these times that we live in? Father, we, we acknowledge, as we've just been singing, we acknowledge your goodness. But we also recognize that there is still so much unchecked evil in our world today. And Father, the church is your plan A to, to demonstrate your goodness, to demonstrate your grace and your mercy. And so Father, as a church, would you, number one, show us how to pray. Don't let us get so desensitized that we, we, we stop paying attention, that we stop acknowledging the evil that is there and asking you, Father, to, to, to show us how to respond to it. So Lord, show us how to pray. Number two, would you allow us to be a reflector, an ambassador, a mirror of your goodness in a world that desperately needs to see it? And so, Father, this morning we thank you for your grace that is apparent here in this room, for your goodness that we, many of us have received, and we ask that we could approach you with confidence knowing that you hear our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I want to tell you a brief story this morning about two different couples that didn't know each other, uh, but that one day these two couples met in a very um, unfortunate way. Uh, couple number one is a, a, a couple named Frank and Abigail. Frank and Abigail, they are, they're a middle-aged, uh, very happily married couple. Uh, now, they, at this point in their life, they have three grown kids uh, who they have a good relationship with, which is all any parents can ask for at that point. Um, Frank and Abigail are already looking forward to retirement. They're kind of getting over that hump in their, in their ears. They're going, oh, this new life is awaiting us in retirement. Uh, they were pretty frequent uh, church attenders. Uh, they, they tried to be as regular as they could on a Sunday morning. They made sure to, to tithe 10%. And they're really excited when the, the daily bread was put out at their church, that devotional that some of you all know about, uh, so they could get that and they could, they could read it through as a couple. So this is Frank and Abigail. The other couple is, is Reggie and Latasha. Reggie and Latasha haven't been married as long. In fact, they've only been married about four or five years. Um, they're at this point in their life, they're excited about to have kids. They, they've been having this conversation. They're ready to, to start their family. They had just recently become Christians. And, and this newfound faith that they had, it, it, it's really changing them. Changing them so much that um, their marriage now has a peace that it hadn't had for the previous years, those first few years that they were married. And, and people noticed this change in them as well. They ask them about it. And they, they, they say that, that Reggie and Latasha have this joy that is infectious. 
And, and Reggie himself uh, would often, sometimes uh, inappropriately joke, that he wasn't just infectious, he was a contagious super spreader of the joy of Jesus. That's his sense of humor. So Frank and Abigail, older, middle-aged, Reggie and Latasha, younger, newly Christian, they met on a cold December evening in eastern Washington. Both couples were on their way to Christmas work parties in the city they lived in. The temperatures had dropped very quickly since the sun went down that particular day, and the roads were beginning to ice over. They were heading in opposite directions on the same road, and Reggie came around the corner and felt his SUV begin to slide into the other lane at the very moment that Frank and Abigail were coming around that same corner. Their vehicles collided, and in an instant, everything they thought they knew about their lives and their faith would come into full focus. No more questions about what God was like, only answers, as they would now meet the God who created them face to face. What do you think they would say? What would you say? How much confidence would you have in that moment, in your death, that God was going to look at you with favor, that he would smile and say, welcome? Would you run to God like a, like a kid running to a parent? Or would you wonder if you had done enough for God to accept you? Well, these two couples in that moment, they didn't have to answer those questions because now they knew. But some of you in this room this morning, you might wonder. You might be unsure. So this morning, I want to give you some extremely important truth. Truth that you don't have to wait until you die to really know. This truth, it will not only give you confidence the day that you die, but it will give you confidence every day that you live. This truth is found in the passage that Ben just read for us. And so the title of our message today is Confidence Through Christ. Confidence Through Christ. So first let me ask this question. What contributes to a lack of confidence in a person's life? Now, if you're a, if you're a high schooler or a middle schooler, your lack of confidence, uh, maybe it's in your abilities. Oh, man, I've never done these things before. Maybe it's in your looks. I mean, let's be honest, as a teenager, you are looking at yourself in the mirror a lot more than you did when you were in elementary school, right? So you maybe you're a little unconfident in that. Maybe it's in what you know or it's in the relationships that you have. Maybe what contributes to our lack of confidence is the fact we have made so many mistakes. And so we're just always on the edge of not knowing what's going to happen next, unconfident in who we are. As people who have placed our faith in Jesus... We still wrestle with doubting our place in God's family because of these same things. Oh, I've made too many mistakes, or I don't know enough of the Bible, or I don't know that I have a close relationship with God, and so I'm not confident that God would even like me if he were in the same room with me. We fall short. We sin, and even our best good works, our best ones, are still so wimpy compared to God's. So here's the good news. 
The things that contribute to our lack of confidence, those very things, Jesus himself takes care of them. He, he, he eliminates them as barriers to us being confident, to us living a life of confidence before God. All of those things that, that make you insecure, that make you wonder if God really loves you or cares about you, Jesus takes care of those. I know you already read it, or already heard it, but if you have your Bibles, I want to ask you just to look at one passage this morning, and it's this one, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. If you don't have your Bibles, the pews right in front of you have Bibles. You can take a Bible if you don't have it. You can also download one on your phone, but don't get distracted if you're going to do that. It is football season after all. Shortcut to this passage is page 1035. Yes, there's that many pages in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. I just want to point out three things from this passage that will give us confidence through Christ. Look at verse 14. Therefore, since we have a, a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Now, let me, let me stop here and say something that should be obvious, but the Bible was not written with our context in mind. It was not written thinking of, of Renton, Washington in the year 2022. So let me explain a little bit of this imagery of Jesus as a high priest. Jesus as a high priest. In, in the Jewish time that this, um, the Bible is written, in this particular book of the Bible is written, Hebrews, there are all sorts of things that people had to do to be right with God. So if you want to know whether God loves you or whether you're accepted by him, do this, 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 hundreds of them. And so as an individual, you had to follow the law. You had to make sure that you're doing all of these things. And guess who could do that? Nobody. A nobody could follow all those laws. A nobody could be good enough to be good with God. And so there was another thing that helped people stay in relationship with God. There was a, a day, a specific day, called the Day of Atonement. And on this day, the high priest, starting with Aaron back in the, in the Exodus narrative, the high priest would go before God representing all of the people. And he would make a sacrifice. And that sacrifice was meant to symbolically atone for the sins and they would pay the price for all the sins that had been committed among the people of God that year. Once a year, he would enter what was called the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God was, and he would make this atonement for all the people. And so at, at that day, people could go, it's been done. We're good with God. And then they wouldn't sin, right? No, of course. Then they would sin again. They would, they would still fall short. And the next year it would happen. Every year the Day of the Atonement would happen. If you ever look on a calendar and you see this, this uh, holiday that happens in October called Yom Kippur, that's the Day of Atonement. So when Hebrews says we have a great high priest, it's this Day of Atonement in imagery. But instead of this high priest Jesus going into a temple, where does he go? He ascends into heaven. 
Jesus, the Son of God. He goes on our behalf. So Jesus, we see this through, through the New Testament narrative. Jesus atones for the sins of humanity once and for all. It's done. It's finished. Jesus offers an atonement that doesn't expire. And so we who place our faith in Jesus, we get a forgiveness that doesn't expire either. Isn't that amazing? No other religion operates this way, just in case you're wondering. You want to explore some others. Buddhism, Islam, no other religion says, hey, you don't have to do anything to save yourself. Jesus alone offers that atonement, that forgiveness for sin. So Jesus is high priest. He made a sacrifice for you. But unlike the ancient sacrifices before, Jesus was that sacrifice. Now, you're still probably a little foggy on this high priest sacrifice thing. So let me use a, a sports term um, that will probably still not resonate with some people. But I'm a sports guy, so I'm going to do it. <clears throat> there's, a, there's an idiom we have in our culture when we say we're going to go to bat for somebody. You know what that means? I'm going to go to bat for somebody. I'm going, to, I'm going to do something on your behalf that you are not able to do. That's a baseball term. When a, when a player in the majors is, is having a rough time, he's been, he's been O for whatever, he gets up to the plate and it's a scoring opportunity. The manager's looking at this guy. He's like, he has not been able to hit the ball for weeks. I'm going to pull him out. I'm going to put in a pinch batter. Somebody who I think can come through in this moment for the team. Go to bat for them. And so Jesus is that for us. He has gone to bat for us in our weaknesses, in our inability. He takes our place. And here's the thing that's amazing about Jesus. While Jesus is the, the perfect high priest, while he is sinless in his sacrifice, Jesus can still relate to you. Jesus can still relate to you. Hebrews goes on and says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Like Jesus is holier than us, but he's not holier than thou. You know what I mean? Like when somebody says, oh, that person's holier than thou. They're, they think they're better than everybody else. They think they're so far removed. They separate themselves from everybody. But Jesus didn't do that. As God, he came into humanity and experienced life as we experience it now. And because Jesus understands our struggles, then we, as a result, get his compassion so when you make a mistake, even though he is God, he goes, I know why you made that mistake. I know what it's like to be tempted. I know what it's like to be weak and to be broken. Because Jesus understands our struggles, we get his compassion. Uh, there's this phrase in our legal system that if you are brought before, you've committed a crime, and you're brought before a judge, you get what's called a jury of your peers. A jury of your peers. What does that mean? That means the jury should, it doesn't always, but it should look something like you. So the people that are going to decide whether you're guilty or you're not guilty, they go, hey, that, that person, they're, they're about my age. They, they 
have a similar background as me, similar ethnicity as me. Like they know what it's like to be like me. And so as somebody who is in the court system, you can hope, you can, you can anticipate that some people are going to be able to empathize with you. They're going to know what it's like to be you. Jesus gets it. Let that sink in for a minute. Jesus understands the core issues you're facing. Jesus understands the effects of trauma. His family were refugees when he was a child. Jesus understands the temptation of lust. Jesus understands the appeal of pursuing wealth. The God of the universe understands what it's like to be you. Jesus understands the weakness of humanity because he became human. 1 Corinthians 10 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Your temptations, your sin, your brokenness, they are not unique to you. I can't tell you how many times I, I meet with people and they're like, I got to share something with you and, I, and I, it's so hard for me and I, and I just, it's, I hope you don't look at me different after this. And they share it and I go, bro, you are not the only one that has dealt with that. Why did you think you were? But that's what the enemy does. Where Jesus says, I can empathize with you. Satan says, don't you dare tell anybody about that. What will they think? You're the only one. And so Jesus points us to a life where we can be honest about who we are and what we're dealing with. And the forgiveness and payment for these very sins that we give into, they come from God himself who knows what it's like to be human. And so today, you can know that he has compassion on you when you struggle and he has made a way out through your struggles through the powerful work of Jesus. Church family, we need to know this for ourselves. Amen? But we also need to be able to display this to others. One of the biggest turnoffs to people believing that Jesus is like Hebrews says he is, is when his people don't demonstrate it. When his people don't show compassion, and they don't empathize, and they give credence to the lie that those people the things that they're dealing with, they, they're weird because of it. They're broken. They're irredeemable. As a church, we need to believe this for ourselves, but we really, really also need to share that with others. Amen? And so this leads us to the final truth, and it answers the question of how we will respond to God the day we die. But also, it shows us the relationship that God desires to have with us today. Based on these things, based on what Jesus has done as our high priest, based on his compassion toward us, let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? Confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us then, because of Jesus, approach God's throne of grace with confidence. This word confidence is the Greek word parhesia, which means to speak boldly. To speak boldly. 
So are you tracking with this? Because this is the gospel of Jesus. This is the good news that changes people's lives. Jesus knows what it's like to be you. Jesus paid your debt of sin once and for all. And because of that, you and I have a place in the kingdom that allows us to speak boldly and directly with God. Amazing. And it's important. It's important that we think of God, that the image we have of God is based on his terms, not our terms. Look at that again. God's throne of what? Grace. God's throne of grace. That is, that, that this throne is, is, the foundation of this throne is generosity. It's favor. It's giving you what you need when you need it. Do you think of God that way? Or do you think of him as a distant, angry father? You probably heard this last week. The Queen of England died. And so her son, Charles, is now the king. Now, his official coronation hasn't taken place, and it will be a big deal when it happens. And on that day, I can imagine as he's sitting on the throne, the new king of England, if I went, if I happened to be there and I went and I ran up to the throne of King Charles with a request, you know what would happen? Nothing good. Let's put it that way. I'm not going to try it. Nothing good would happen. But what if his grandson William did? If his grandson William, in the midst of this coronation, ran up to the, his grandpa Charles' throne and said, hey, this is pretty cool. How do you think Charles would respond? A lot different than to me. A lot different than to me, right? The work of Jesus gives us a type of relational confidence that we can go to God like grandson William would to Charles. We can run up to him with confidence and we can say whatever we want to say. And God's response to us will be mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. Because of the work of Jesus. Pastor Alistair Begg tells this story about the, the last moments of Jesus' life before he died on the cross. And how there was two thieves on either side. And one thief acknowledged who Jesus was. He, in that moment, just simply placed his faith in Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, today you're going to be with me. You're going to be with me. I can imagine, as Alistair Begg so uh, wisely points out, when the thief on the cross died and he approached God's throne and God said, who said you could be here? And he goes, the man on the middle cross did. <laughs> He hadn't been baptized. He hadn't tied to the church. He hadn't gone to Sunday school. He hadn't done any of the, the things. But what had he done? He had done enough. He placed his faith in Jesus. When Frank and Abigail, Reggie and Latasha's cars crashed together that day and their lives were ended, Frank and Abigail, who had been walking with Jesus for a number of years, Reggie and Latasha had just started their journey, they all got to approach God's throne of grace in the exact same with confidence, confidence, not because of what they had done, not because of their tithing or their church attendance, 
They didn't have to wonder, Reggie and Latasha, if their newfound faith was enough. Had they done enough as new Christians? And if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you don't either. Isn't that good news? That what Jesus has done is enough. Your sins have been forgiven. You have the compassion, the full compassion of Jesus. You can approach God at any moment, right this very second if you want to. And you can say, God, I need forgiveness of my sins. And he'll give you mercy. God, I need help in this situation. And he will provide that help because of his throne of grace. You ask, God gives. You receive. This kind of relationship may be hard for us to imagine because we don't see it very often around us. We as a church, we do our best to display this. Some of the stories we heard this morning were encouraging toward that end. We don't see this kind of relationship very often in our homes, in our schools, in our politics. But God's word makes it clear. This is who he is. And so my prayer this morning, church, whether you have yet to place your faith in Jesus or you've been walking with him for a long time, that you would have this kind of confidence as you leave. Not confidence in anything you have done or will do, but confidence in what Jesus has done for you. He's gone to bat for you. He's paid the penalty of your sin. And you can run to the throne of God because of that. Amen? Amen. I'm going to end with this. And we're going to sing one more song. And as we do, I just want to encourage you, if there are things that you need to ask God for, may this be your moment to approach him in mercy and in grace and receive those things. So, Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for what you have done with the students this week, this weekend, as they, as they retreated together, as they went off to this camp. And there have been seeds that have been planted. There's been truth that has been spoken. And I pray that those things would grow in their hearts. They wouldn't allow the lies of the enemy to take their confidence. The Holy Spirit, that you would build it in them. And Father, as a church, I pray that we would have that kind of relationship with you, that we could run to you and receive your mercy and your grace. That we'd be able to go from here with that kind of confidence, whether we live uh, decades more or we live a minute more, that when we get to see you face to face, you will say, welcome son, welcome daughter. And in the meantime, Lord, may we experience your throne of grace in our everyday lives. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says... You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.